0: So, do you ever dabble in ileism? Yeah, Iliism, Yeah, that, that's where you refer to yourself in the third person. You know, you, you use your own name. Some of you saw the episode of Seinfeld that this happened in when, when George and Jimmy were talking after the basketball game, and George said, Hey, Jimmy, you played a great game. And Jimmy said, Yeah, Jimmy played really well. Yeah, Jimmy, Jimmy was good. Or maybe recently you saw it in the superhero movie where the Hulk sat down and said, Hulk is angry. Hulk always angry. Bob Dole, the late politician, used to refer to himself that way all the time. In fact, he did it enough that he went on Saturday Night Live one time and poked fun at himself. He said, Bob Dole doesn't walk around saying Bob Dole does this and Bob Dole does that. Bob Dole just wouldn't do something like that. Iliism. I read something recently, though, that said that a little bit of iliism is actually very helpful. Um, For example... Let's just say I had a, a really long, stressful day, and that at the end of the day, it's, it's late at night, it's like after 10, and I'm in the drive-through. First time I'm going to get any food. The only thing I've had is a peanut butter and flax granola bar, you know, and I'm starving. Man, I'm starving. I, I'm, I'm worn out. I'm stressed out. I want something to eat. And all I'm thinking is, man, I'm getting ready to gain 10 pounds. Like right now, tonight, this, that's what's getting ready to happen. Or, or, I could say, hey, doubt. Dow, Dow doesn't need to get that, you know, super-sized, double-combo mumbo-jumbo with the, with the extra chili cheeseburger bacon. He didn't have to get that. Dow can just get the two junior cheeseburgers and a cup of water. Dow can do that. Dow can be confident in himself. Dow, Dow can handle it. Now, if you do that, be sure your window's up, because if they hear you saying that in the drive-thru window, you're going to get a really weird look when you get up there to get your food. But iliism can be like a little pep rally for yourself, right? A little, come on, let's get it together. Come on, let's, let's go. You know, let's, let's do this. A little bit of iliism will go a long way, and we all might need some iliism every now and then. You know why? Because sometimes in life, there's no one cheering us. There, there's no one around saying, great job, you can do it. We feel lost and alone and frustrated and confused, and sometimes a, a little bit of ileism will go a long way. Sometimes a little bit of a pep rally might be the, the greatest thing we could possibly do. So what do we do in those moments? What do we do in those moments when life feels impossible, when we feel overwhelmed and there's, there's nobody to cheer us on? How do we, how do we cheer ourselves on? How do, we, how do we call out to ourselves in moments like that? Well, we continue our series, Rope of Hope, where we're walking through Psalm 42 with the purpose of discovering some ways that we can find some hope to hold on to no matter what's happening in life, no matter what's going on. And today's message is calling for hope. And the psalmist is going to have a very interesting way to help us cheer ourselves on. Listen to Psalm 42, verse 7. Deep calls to deep at the sound of your waterfalls. Deep calls to deep is another way of saying that the hits just keep on coming. It's just one sorrow after another. It's one hardship after another. It's one difficulty after another. Ever felt that way? Ever had a day like that, a week like that? Maybe maybe you're in a year like that right now. Where, where everything just keeps piling on. And then he uses this language of waterfalls after deep, deep. He says it's like a waterfall. It's not just that things are crashing. It's, it's like a waterfall. It's like I've, I've gone over the edge of a waterfall. I've plunged down inside of that pool and, and the waters are, are just drowning me. It's, it's not like taking a you know, a cruise on one of those boats out in the middle of Niagara Falls, you know, and just looking around at the mist. Hey, this is pretty. This is more what he's experiencing, like the boat drifted off course, went underneath the falls, and now you're just getting pounded with water. And, and he says, the sound, the sound. Have you ever been around a waterfall? Man, it's loud, you know? And if you get up real close to it, you, you almost can't stand there that long. You got to walk away just to let your ears catch their breath because it's just loud. And so that's the, the picture that he's painting here. He is in a season of life where his despair is crushing him. It's, it's deep, deep despair. Now, I know what some of you are going through, but I, I don't know what all of you are going through. But, but I, I want you to know that we are not reading from a book of fairy tales today. This, this psalm is, is written by a real person. a a real person, maybe even a group of people because it's noted it was written by the sons of Korah. But, But either way, these are real people. And this psalm was written about 979 years before Jesus was born. So when we read it, we're reading someone who understood despair. This is not just some, you know, some poet from the Bible. This is someone who understood family struggles He understood family conflict. He understood family fights. He understood suffering. He understood poverty. He understood war and and political unrest. He understood sickness. He understood death. He understood life. This is a real person. So when we read this, when we listen to it, don't just listen to it as like a sermon or, or ancient poetic language, although it is beautiful ancient poetic language. Listen to it. Digest it and embrace it as real words from a real person who was really in despair and they really knew the one true, real God. How deep was his despair? Verse 7, the next part All your breakers and your waves have passed over me. When my kids were young, it was hilarious watching them play in the ocean. Especially my, my youngest son. Back then he was just a little pretzel stick of a guy and, and he'd be, you know, out there in the in the waves and, and you know, just be standing there and the waves would just boom, you know, they'd just, they'd hammer him. He'd go flying down the water and he'd pop back up and he was like a weeble wobble, you know, kind of disoriented, not really sure where he was. And then about that time, boom, and here comes the next wave, just, you know, hammering. And this would go on and on and on and on until finally he would come trudging out of the water and he would just like lay out on the beach in exhaustion, you know. That's how life feels sometimes, right? It's just, it's just one wave after, the other. You, you, you get recovered from this thing and then boom here comes this other thing you know, and sometimes it happens in the same day right? It's like first thing in the morning there's already conflict at home but you, you kind of make it through that and then you, you, you get out in traffic and it's even worse and then you get out from traffic you get in the office and something else is wrong and, and just all day long it's just, it's just bad news and conflict and, and problems all day long sometimes that's how life feels just one wave After another. And it doesn't feel like you're a kid at the ocean, does it? You're having a hard time finding a smile. You're having a hard time dealing with everything in life. That's where the psalmist is. The psalmist is in this season where he can't find his smile. He's in the season where, where he feels lost at sea and the, the waves are just constantly crashing on him. Or as I said earlier, it's like he's fallen off a waterfall and he's, he's plunged into that pool underneath and he's just drowning in despair. He, he really feels this way. He's not just writing a poem. And we know that, right? When we're in that moment, we, we really feel that way. Granted, any, any problem that any of us go through in the Western world... Is, is usually mild compared to most other people in the world. You know, I, I think the statistics are that, that uh, more than 95% of the population in the world is, is close to starvation. You know, I, I haven't had that problem this week. So, so we live in a time where there are a lot of people that have a lot of things worse, but the reality is when we're in our moment, it's real to us, right? I mean, that, that conflict, that pain, that, that, that overwhelming feeling, it's, it's real to us. And in the middle of that despair, in the middle of everything falling apart, the psalmist used some very interesting words. Let's don't miss them. Listen to what he said Your waterfalls, your breakers, your waves. This is an accidental language. He's saying with the very words that he is using that every crashing wave is owned and controlled by God. He's saying, I'm, I'm in this moment where my despair, I'm drowning in my despair. But God is here. He, he owns all of this. He is with me. He's in the middle of this. He's allowing this dare we say we see it throughout scripture God might be causing it and yet that brings him comfort why? because God is with him God owns everything Matthew Henry put it this way the waves and the billows are under a divine check there's there's no maverick molecule as I've heard it's, it's all under the, the authority and the sovereignty of God, even when it doesn't feel like it to us. You ever heard this phrase, God won't give you more than you can handle? That's not in the Bible. That is a, a misconstruing of what's actually in the Bible. So, so let's see what's actually in there. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you except something common to mankind meaning we're in a sense all on this together and and we all have temptation continuing and God is faithful that that'll never change no matter what you hear this week that will never change God is faithful Paul continues so he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able it's different right But with the temptation will provide the way of escape also so that you will be able to endure it. So temptation and suffering are are two completely different things. God promises, not just a way, usually many ways of escape from temptation. But the promise here does not say there will be escape from suffering. It does not say there will be escape from hardship and and difficulty. Nobody gets that pass. Suffering and difficulty is part of what it means to be alive. When we are sick, it's a reminder that we exist. Our pain is actually this this reflection of grace that, that we exist. In fact, the Bible tells us in many ways, at many times that it is more than likely that we will all face more than we can handle. Here's just one example, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul's writing, Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned with rocks. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have spent adrift at sea. I have been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea. (laughs) Paul's like one of those episodes where they drop you off in the wilderness, right? And everything goes wrong. Dangers among false brothers? And I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. Now, do we ever hear in the scriptures, Paul saying, but during all that time, I had that little coin in my pocket I got from the Christian bookstore. And it says, God will never let me have more than I can handle. And he just rubbed that coin for good luck. No, no, more than once, I'm sure, Paul was saying, God, a little help here. This is more than I can handle. That's what Paul says, right? M- more than he can handle. In the first chapter of Second Corinthians, Paul was writing about he and his friends had, had been in Asia and they were in a situation where they felt like they were gonna die. They, they despaired of death. They were sharing the gospel. And yet in that moment, when they were so full of despair, in this, this moment of great danger, in this moment where he thought he was going to die, something happened. Something stirred inside of them, maybe for the first time or at least all over again. And what was it that stirred? This is how he put it, Second Corinthians 1, verse 9. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves so that we would not trust in ourselves but in God who raises the dead their despair their their brush with death it caused them not to trust in themselves it caused them to realize that they could only turn to God they could only ultimately trust in God all of this was too much for Paul to handle and don't miss that all of it was too much for Paul to handle. God may give you more than you can handle. may happen. He may give you more than you can handle, but if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, it is impossible for you to ever have anything that is more than God can handle. Impossible. See, it's, it's not a fairy tale religion. This, this psalmist, 979 years before Jesus was born, so we don't even have the Christmas story yet. He is confident in God. He is confident in who God is. It's not just a psalmist. Prophet Isaiah, about 700 years before Jesus was born, he, he experienced deep despair, deep despair. Darkness. And God was kind. He, he gave Isaiah these promises to write down so that he could listen to them and so that we could listen to them and find some hope. Here, here's just one of them: Isaiah 41, 13. For I am the Lord your God, who takes hold of your right hand, who says to you, Do not fear, I will help you. So so the deeper and the louder that Isaiah's despair called out to him, the deeper and the louder Isaiah could say, my God will help me. And when I feel like I can't get out of the bed, my God will help me. When I feel like I can't leave the house, my God will help me. When I feel like I can't go on, my God is holding me with his own hand. My God is with me me. That promise can never be taken away. Isaiah knew that. He wrote it down. He rehearsed it. In our moments of depression, in our moments of despair, in our moments of discouragement, it is gloriously fantastic that the old saying is not true. Because the old saying says, God helps those who help themselves. It's a lie. God just helps. It's who he is. It's what he does. And in our brush with death, in our moment where we can't bring ourselves to life, where we can't just put a band-aid on, where we can't just pay money to fix a problem, in that moment, the confidence that a Christian has is that God helps. It's what he does. And you know what? If the tip of your nose doesn't get baptized, it's all right. God helps. It's, it's who he is. It's, it's what he does. Do you know that today? I mean, not like as information, but, but do you know and, and feel that that God is holding you with his hand? Do you know and and feel that that you have help from God and that your your ultimate help is from God? Or are you overwhelmed with darkness or fear or worry or anger or even just overwhelmed with sin? Isaiah had some comfort from God on that too. Isaiah 60 verse two, for behold, darkness will cover the earth and deep darkness the peoples, but the Lord will rise upon you and his glory will appear upon you. Listen, we're just weeks away from the Christmas season. And so I wanna to announce to you right now before we're in it that today and yesterday and 100 years ago and, and 10,000 years from now, the glory of the Lord has appeared the light has come jesus is the light of the world and the light for the world when it comes to our our deepest darkest depressions and despairs when it comes to the the hardest things in life jesus is the only light that can break through that darkness Now, now to be sure, there are other people and other things that God uses. God uses so many different things to help us along in our moments of despair. But but please understand, when it comes to the depths of the darkness of sin and evil and despair and discouragement, your parents can't break the darkness. Your spouse can't break the darkness. Your kids can't break the darkness. Your pastor can't can't break the darkness your medicine can't break the darkness your your bank account can't break the darkness your your favorite sports team can't break the darkness when it comes to the deepest despairs and darkness of life only jesus christ can break the darkness and he's the only one because of who he is Because of the very character of his nature and because of the historical and spiritual realities of his birth and his life and his death and his resurrection. And that resurrection actually guarantees that he's returning again. Those things are the only reason that Jesus is the full and final ultimate light for the darkness in your life. Only Jesus can break the darkness of sin and evil and despair. Everything else will be temporary. one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. This is is like a moment, okay? Whatever your favorite moment is in sports, this, this trumps it, okay? This moment will happen. Whatever your favorite moment on July 4th is or on Christmas morning or any other special event in your life, this moment trumps all of history. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Every single human past, present, and future will fall down in front of Jesus. So will you fall down as a friend of God or an enemy of God? Will you fall down and then rise up and inherit the kingdom prepared for you? Or will you not rise up and and depart and be separated from God forever? The greatest hope for your despair cannot be found in this world. It cannot be found in what you own, cannot be found in your family, your friends, or anything else that you love or like. The only true hope for the greatest despair in your life, for the greatest darkness of your life, is the light of the world. And the light of the world is is not just a fancy Christmas carol. No, the, the greatest help and the greatest hope in our moments of darkness is that Jesus being the light of the world means this, that he is our savior, that he is our king, and he is our friend. Is, is that who Jesus is to you? Is Jesus savior, king, and friend? Or, or is he just the Christmas story? Is he just the Easter story? Apostle Paul, writing to the church at Colossae, said this For he rescued us from the domain of darkness, and I never tire of reading or listening to this verse, and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son the greatest news for our moments of despair, when we're in that, that, that pool at the bottom of the waterfall, when we are having every wave of difficulty crash in our life, the greatest hope, the greatest help we have in that moment is that we have already been transferred. But that's the hope a Christian has. We've already been transferred. So if I die today, even in a brutal, tragic way, I've already been transferred. This is the truth of my life right now in this moment, I've already been My sin will not be my final address. Nothing will be forwarded to my sin. I have been transferred. Have you been transferred? Is this news your news? Has Jesus rescued you? Today, have you been transferred out of darkness into the light, and, and you know nothing's going to change that. The psalmist, whew, overwhelmed, just full-on despair. He's, he's beat down, he's, he's drowning. That, that's the language that he uses. So, so how's he going to get out of it? How's he going to get out of this, this drowning moment of despair? What's going to change? How's he going to get off this roller coaster, so to speak? Well, he's going to do it by what he's doing right now. He's talking to himself. God, this, this is your waterfall. This is your wave. This is your breaker. He, he's talking to himself. He's like, man, I've, I've got to hear truth because everything around me is pulling me away from truth. I heard that the most influential person in your life is you. No one talks to you more than you talk to you. So what are you saying to yourself? This Friday is Veterans Day, and I saw an article earlier this week written by a veteran and, and the title of the article was, was this it says What veterans know? And and it was just a, a very short, simple article, just, just describing the experience of a veteran. And statistically, the experience of the veteran that, that he noted was that, you know, statistically not all veterans have seen action, you know? And so he just, he just mapped out all these things that, you know, sometimes a, a veteran just, you know, spent their life just doing, you know, a couple of things, but those couple of things, that's why you, you get to go trick or treating, you know? That's why you get to have Thanksgiving and, and Christmas Day. Because, because of those small things behind the scenes. But then he said this, we know service requires loving our homes so much that we willingly give up all we cherish, our freedom, our youth, our life, so others may be safe. How safe do you feel today? I'm not talking about your health. I'm not talking about your body, I'm not talking about your your money or, or your family or your house or your cars or any of those other things. I, I'm talking about you, like in the deepest part of who you are. How safe do you feel today? Jesus of Nazareth temporarily gave up the pleasures of heaven to come and make a way for you not just to feel safe but for you to be safe. It's what he's done. Not safe for 10 minutes, not safe for 10 hours or or 10 weeks or 10 months or or 10 years or or 10 decades. No, no, Jesus, he made a way for you to be safe for 10,000 years and then 10,000 more to infinity. This is who he is. This is what he's done. So of all the things that you could say to yourself, of all the things that you could preach to yourself, of all the things that you could call out to yourself, in your moments of of deepest, darkest despair, it is very possible that the greatest thing you could possibly say would, would be what we're about to do together right now. So this is a little dangerous, what we're getting ready to do, but we're going to end with a little illyism, all right? So what we're going to do is I'm, I'm going to use some statements, but you're going to start with your name, okay? And I'll tell you how in a sec. But here's what makes this dangerous. For some of you, what we're about to do, it won't be true. Like, like I'm about to make some statements that are actually not true about you, but I hope, I hope that, this little end of the sermon makes you so uncomfortable I really do I hope it makes you uncomfortable in a need for Jesus and that you would love the discomfort of this moment so that you would turn to Jesus so I'm going to make some statements but I wanted to start with your name okay So, so we're all going to say our name out loud at the same time okay you at home do the same thing okay we're, we're just gonna say our names all at the same time. So no, no embarrassment, we all know where we are, okay? So when I say, say your name, you say your name and then, and then I'm gonna follow it up. So you, you own your name with the sentence, okay? So here we go, say your name, Dal. Jesus Christ is your light, your king, your friend. Say your name, Tao. Do not be afraid. Hope in God. Say your name, Tao. You are safe. Deeply, truly, eternally safe.